Hey everyone, it took me almost a week to come to this place where I was ready to share my COVID story with you. And that is because it really was the worst two weeks of my life. It really was two weeks of waking up every day in mental agony. It was two weeks of crying at the drop of a hat, of feeling so stressed out and so worried and so emotionally overcome that I had to give myself a week to just process everything because I felt like if I started to tell my story last week, I would just be so overwhelmed and so in my story that I wouldn't be able to give you a full perspective of what we went through and also talk about how we can come together and make a difference and help other people that are going through the same thing, especially people that are in no way as privileged as me and my family are. So in this audio post or blog post, however you're deciding to consume it, it's a pretty big one, but I really wanted to give you everything in these in these audio recordings. So I've done a full blog post, which you're listening to right now. And then I've also split this up into sub recordings so that you can listen to this at your leisure if you want to. But essentially what I'm going to be covering is how we got COVID in the first place and why the blame game is absolutely not helpful when it comes to figuring out how you got COVID. Number two, I'm going to talk about why we didn't believe we had COVID for at least five days and how this is something that I think almost 60 to 70% of people go through and why you absolutely don't want to make this mistake. I'm also going to talk about our actual journey and what each of the three of us went through, my husband, myself, and my mother-in-law, what we went through in our respective COVID journeys and what really sucked about that process and why at one point I literally called a friend of mine crying and saying that I think I'm going to die. And she had to call me back and talk me off a ledge because I was so petrified that I really was going to die. And so it was the most horrible two weeks of my life, barring none. Um, So it really, really was a tough time. I also want to talk through what we would do differently if we had to do this again and how I would prepare for COVID and what I would do if the next wave is inevitable and how I think you could take these practices and make them your own in case you are also preparing for an episode of COVID or you know someone that's going through COVID because I just think it's important to share what we learned so that we can do better the next time. And then lastly, I'm going to talk you through how you can partner with us and help. So I mentioned this in my email. If you're on my email list, I mentioned this on my email list last week that we want to raise money for two foundations that are doing incredible work here in India and who are helping people that just have no other recourse and no other source of help to breathe, literally to get oxygen to breathe, because that is the number one challenge that we are facing right now in India is that people do not have access to oxygen and people are dying. People who shouldn't be dying are dying because they don't have access to oxygen. And so these two foundations are doing incredible work and we wanted to do our best to help get other people involved and make other people aware of the work that they're doing and raise as much as we can for these two foundations. And so I'll also be telling you how you can partner with us and make that happen during this episode. Thank you so much for listening to this. My name is Seema. I'm the founder and course creator behind contentbyseema.com. And it is just my privilege to share my journey right now because I won't even say privilege. I am privileged to share my journey. And because going through this entire process taught me how privileged I am, how lucky we are, how blessed we are, 
and how it is really our responsibility to do as much as we can for the people who are not as fortunate as we are. So I hope you will join me and I hope that you get something out of listening to my story. I look forward to your comments. And if you find anything of value, please go ahead and share this with anybody that you think this might be useful to and also do as much as you can to be part of our fundraiser. Thank you so much and I'll see you during the episodes. So the first thing I'm going to talk about, and I guess this is the question that everybody starts with, which is how did we even get COVID-19 in the first place? We avoided getting COVID for almost a year and a half. So COVID started in 2019. We managed to go through all of 2020 without getting COVID, despite going to two weddings during that time, even though we were fairly anti-social. We did have a few outings and we definitely had some interactions with people, but we managed to not get COVID during that time. So how did we suddenly get COVID now when we had avoided it before? So that is definitely something that we asked ourselves and I wanted to just address that and get it out of the way before I start telling you the rest of my story. So based off of what we have been doing during the time that we diagnosed ourselves and then the doctor diagnosed us with COVID, we fairly, we basically narrowed this down to three possibilities of where we could have gotten COVID from. So number one was the gym. My husband goes to work out every single day or was going to work out every single day at our neighborhood gym. And so even though our gym is amazing, and I'm going to talk about why we thought the gym was not a possibility in a second, that was definitely one big question mark in terms of where we could have gotten COVID from. The second option is my husband works out with a friend of his who was going to his job and he was going out every day and meeting people and doing the things that he had to do. It wasn't a work from home job. And so that was a second possibility. And then the third possibility is my husband's brother-in-law came to visit us from another city in India and he had to come because of some work and he stayed with us for a couple of days. Now, the first thing that I want to say is that even though this question is going to come up, when you think about where you could have gotten COVID from, the most important thing to keep in mind is narrowing it down is not about finding someone to put blame on because the way that COVID is going right now and the way that it's spreading and the way that it spreads in areas and from person to person, blame is completely unhelpful because chances are you're going to get COVID from somebody. And so it makes absolutely no sense to find somebody to blame and to focus your energy on that conversation. The only reason that it is helpful to narrow down your possibilities is because you want to know who may have been that patient zero. And you also want to backtrack and identify who you've come into contact with since you may have met that person or done that activity so that you can warn other people to be mindful of their symptoms and to check in with themselves so that they are aware that they possibly could also have caught COVID from you. So that's the only reason that I think you might want to narrow down where you would have gotten COVID from. Also, if you are the person who brought COVID into your house, if you are the patient zero in your family, 
again, blame is not helpful. It's not going to get help you get well faster. It's not going to help you have your family get well faster. So blame is definitely a absolutely useless emotion in COVID right now. So just know that with the spread rate of COVID, especially the way that it's been going in India, getting COVID-19 is inevitable unless you literally live in a sealed box and you do not allow any outside influences coming your way, chances are you will get COVID. And so instead of blaming, I would say that a more helpful way of looking at it is to take personal responsibility for your own carelessness. And I will say that in our case, we were definitely careless when it came to the first possibility, which is the gym. We took for granted that we work out in a fairly expensive state-of-the-art gym where we know for a fact that people clean the machines almost after every single use. However, given the way that the current wave of COVID is spreading, chances are that it is airborne or it just is more viral. And so even though every machine is sanitized after use, my husband chooses or chose to go to the gym at a time which is very popular with other weightlifters and he also lifts weights. And so even though the gym is state of the art, it's sanitized after each use, it's sanitized for four hours every day. So they close the gym from 12 to four and they sanitize the gym between 12 and four, and then they sanitize it when they close down for the evening. So despite knowing all of those things, he still chose to A, go to the gym, B, work out with them out of mask and C, chose to work out at a time that suited him and was also suitable for a lot of people. And so there was always other people in the gym. Contrasted when I was actually going to the gym, I would choose to go at 3.45 and 3.45 ensured that I was always the first person to use any machine in the gym. There would be a handful of people, about five to six people throughout both sections of the gym, cardio and weightlifting. And so I was definitely choosing a more safe time. Although just choosing to go to the gym itself is a decision that you are making. So that is something that we take complete responsibility for. That is going to the gym, choosing to go at a time that was not the least crowded, and then choosing to work out without a mask because it's really hard to get in a great workout when you're wearing a mask. And my husband definitely sweats a lot and he had um, issues wearing a mask. And so he chose not to wear a mask. And so all of these things contribute to getting COVID and to, to being susceptible to get COVID. So you have to take personal responsibility for the fact that you allowed yourself to be in a position where COVID was a possibility. So that's the difference between blaming somebody else and looking at yourself and saying, what did I do that may have contributed to this situation? Another thing that my husband and his friend did, the same friend who has a job and who was going outside, they decided to work out together. So they were both not wearing masks, even though they were not, you know, they're guys, they're not going to be like hugging and shaking hands and coming into close contact with each other. They were going to the gym in their own cars, even though they used to typically pick each other up along the way, but in the last few uh, weeks, they were going to the gym in their separate cars, but they were still 
in essence, working out together and hanging out together. And so I doubt that they were maintaining six feet of distance and having a conversation in the gym. So choosing again to go to the gym with a workout buddy was a choice that they both made. And so they have to take responsibility for that choice. The third possibility that we had was my brother-in-law coming into town. And I think this is a responsibility that all of us in my house share. I live with my husband and his parents. So there's four of us who live in this house. And my brother-in-law came in from out of town. He spent a night with us. And then he went to his hometown, which is a couple of hundred kilometers away. So his parents or his family had a couple of meetings. And so I'm sure he met at least 10 to 20 people during that time and then came back and spent two nights with us before flying out. Now it is our responsibility that we didn't quarantine him. And so we made an effort on the first night when he came in and flew in to sit away from him while he was eating and sort of maintain distance. But that kind of went out of the window for the next couple of days that he was with us. Uh, my husband and my mother-in-law, and he even went to a drive through restaurant and had a meal together. They went in the car, they ate, um, and then they came back. Luckily, I had a migraine that day, and so I stayed home. And because I was staying home, my father-in-law decided to stay home just so that I wasn't all alone. And maybe that is the space in which my husband gave COVID to my mother-in-law or my brother-in-law gave it to us or we gave it to him. Either way, I'm really grateful that my father-in-law and I were not exposed during that time, especially my father-in-law, because he's definitely the most sensitive out of the four of us. So again, we knew that my brother-in-law was coming into town. We knew that he was coming into to town with the purpose of meeting people who were busy, active people who themselves would have been meeting hundreds of people each week. But we chose to go with the mindset that family cannot give you COVID. Can't, family is safe. We we can't give him COVID. He can't give us COVID because family is safe. And that is definitely something that is not a helpful mindset at this time. Just know that anybody who is not part of your daily living circumstances is somebody who can be a carrier of COVID no matter how much you love them and how close they are in your family. It doesn't matter. It is definitely a possibility that you can get COVID through them. So it was really hard for us to keep distance and quarantine from him because we haven't seen him for almost a year and a half. We definitely haven't seen him since COVID started. And so when you haven't seen family for a really long time, it's very hard to quarantine them and keep them apart. But I believe that is something that we should have done and we should have been a little stricter around our quarantine protocols when it came to having visitors into our house. So that is something that I think the four of us have to take complete personal responsibility for. So basically the moral of this first section is to say that when it comes to COVID, you have to take complete responsibility for your actions. And a really great way to think about your COVID possibilities or probabilities is to really think through the risks of all your activities. When you're going to the grocery store, if you're working out in the gym, if you're meeting somebody for coffee, even if you're meeting for someone for coffee and you're walking together or you're going through a drive-through together, you really want to assess the risk of all those activities and think about if you did get COVID from this activity, is it going to be worth it? Are you willing to take that risk? Is that okay with you? And so just count the cost and know that 
if you live with other people, then chances are you're going to pass it on to others. So in our case, my husband was the first person to show symptoms. So I'm guessing that he was definitely our patient zero. Now between him and my brother-in-law, they basically had symptoms around the same time. So I can't say which one got it first, but when it came to our household, it was my husband and then it went to me and then it went to my mother-in-law. So just definitely know when you're assessing risk and you are counting the cost, don't just count the cost yourself, also count the cost to the people that you are coming into contact with. So that really is the story of how we got COVID and also why I think it is not helpful to play the blame game when it comes to COVID and why taking personal responsibility is the only way to go. So the next kind of space that we went through is our, what I like to call the, it can't be COVID, right? Space where we really thought that we didn't have COVID and we kind of tricked ourselves into believing it was a bunch of other things. And based off of the way I have seen other people react to having COVID, I think almost all of us do this and we rationalize that it can't be COVID, it must be something else. So it definitely took us personally a while to narrow down the narrow down to the fact that it is most definitely COVID. And a couple of things kind of contributed to that. Number one was my husband and I had gone through a couple of nights where we were having difficulty sleeping. And so my husband was waking up in the morning and he was feeling cranky and tired and he was like, I didn't sleep really well. And so that was a reason that he thought maybe he was feeling a little under the weather due to the fact that he hadn't had a great night's sleep. And he's someone who's definitely susceptible to not feeling great if he doesn't have a good night's sleep. So it wasn't unusual for him to make this connection that he didn't sleep well last night. And hence, I don't feel so good this morning. It's a pretty easy, logical jump to make, right? The second factor that kind of contributed and happened exactly at the same time was that the weather changed for us here in Delhi. And so we went from being sort of spring, it was okay to like sleep with the fan on to being fairly hot. And I definitely feel hotter at night as compared to my husband. And so I wanted to switch on the air conditioner. And so that also played a role because he felt that maybe he got a little sick or a bit of fever or a bit of a cold due to the fact that we were running the air conditioner before maybe it was time to run the air conditioner. And so those were the reasons that we justified that he was feeling under the weather. Also, he wasn't really waking up with a fever. He was just feeling feverish. And it never even occurred to us at that time to take his temperature because when we kind of did the touch test, you know, when you touch the forehead and you think, does this person, is this person burning up? He wasn't burning up. He was just feeling not great. And so when it came towards his gym time, which is in the evening, as I mentioned before, he popped a couple of Panadols, which is always my go-to when I'm feeling a little under the weather. And he was able to go to the gym and he got a great workout in. Ironically, during these three days, he got some really killer workouts in. He also beat his own personal weightlifting record. So it wasn't like he was going to the gym and he wasn't able to do what he was normally doing. In fact, he was probably able to do more than he was normally doing. In retrospect, it could be a combination of the fact that he was taking Panadol right before going to the gym, and maybe that had some pain mitigation 
abilities. And also the Panadol I was giving him had caffeine in it. So maybe that helped him with this workout. I don't know, but he was really proud of that. And because of the fact that he was able to perform so well at the gym, he was just like, it cannot be COVID. If it was COVID, I would be feeling crappy and I would be tired and I would be fatigued and I would be exhausted. There was no way that I was going to be lifting over 200 kilos in the gym and beating my own personal record. So that was the justification with which we just said it cannot be COVID. It just must be a chill or a sore throat. It must be due to the weather change. And so after he kind of went through this couple of days of feeling a little under the weather, he then started to complain of his throat feeling a little scratchy. And so again, we didn't think it was COVID. We just thought it's the weather change. It was the air conditioning. And he's just feeling a little under the weather because of that. And so I gave him lemon sip um, in case you guys are figuring it out by now. I definitely have a stock of all of these things. So I I'm someone who loves to be prepared. And so I gave him Lemsip, which is essentially paracetamol plus cold medication. He took it at night. He only took it at night. And he essentially slept really well and uh, he felt better the next day. So we took it as a sign that if you wake up and you feel better, it cannot be COVID. Again, false. All of these are false assumptions because just because you feel fine during the day doesn't mean that you don't have COVID. Just because you are able to function and do the things that you're doing doesn't mean that you don't have COVID. So our first kind of warning sign that this possibly could be COVID is when he finally woke up one morning and felt like he had been beaten up and run over by a train. And that's when we finally said, hmm, do you think you could have COVID? And that was when we kind of accepted it. And I will say there was between a three to four day period between when he started feeling not so great and when we finally kind of drew a line in the sand and said, maybe it's COVID. And then as we kind of went through that day and rolled over into the next day, he also lost his sense of smell. It was a day that I had an allergy attack as well, and I couldn't smell either. But then I took an Allegra and I was fine the next day. So for me, that was not a symptom. But he essentially couldn't smell anything. I was like waving peppermint oil underneath his nose. I was spraying perfume right into his face, and he couldn't smell a thing. So that was really our kind of the red, red flag that said, yep, this is definitely COVID. Even then there was like a 10% part of us that was like, oh, you you lose your sense of smell, even in a cold, even in a fever. But that was when we said, okay, maybe we should isolate. And this is maybe when we should try to get tested. And we should also consult with a doctor and see what he says when it comes to COVID. Now, my advice at this time, especially if you are living in a city or a country where COVID is spreading and there are cases that are on the uptake, just start with the assumption that it is COVID. Do not start with the rationalization that it could be a flu, it could be fever, it could be cold, it's a weather change, I'm just tired, I worked a lot. None of those are relevant at this point. Start with the worst case assumption, which is COVID, and really just work your way backwards from that. Because in the worst case, you're going to treat yourself for COVID and you'll treat everything else as well. 
But if you do it the other way around, which is that you take it as, oh, I'm just tired, and then you kind of build that escalation from there and you say, oh, maybe it's a cold, maybe it's a fever, and then you finally get to COVID, you're giving way too many days for the virus to multiply and to gain strength in your system. So my advice, and if we had to do this all over again, which I touch wood hope that we never do, um, I would always start with the assumption that it is COVID. An easy way to kind of think through this is to make a really simple tracker, and I will include one that I've made in my post as well, and essentially just have all the symptoms there and literally just go through this tracker every day for yourself and for your family. Just check in with yourself and say, okay, do I feel any of these things today? And if you do find that you feel any of these things, feverish, fatigue, a cold, can't smell really well, then really make that decision to isolate at the first sign of symptoms instead of waiting for your symptoms to build and to get to the place where you know for sure that it's COVID. Because one of the things I've seen from listening to other people's COVID stories, from going through COVID myself, from seeing my mother-in-law go through this and seeing my husband go through this, I have figured out that if you feel off, then most likely you are off. And if you're feeling off right now, most likely it is COVID. So in our case, because of the fact that it took us so long to get from, oh, I didn't sleep well and I'm feeling not so great to, oh my God, I have COVID. Um, it was actually too late for me to isolate from my husband. And so we kind of just made the decision to stick together and to go through this together, which in hindsight is actually a really good thing. And I'll tell you why in a few minutes. But once we kind of figured out that we had COVID, the next decision, of course, we had to make is now that we have COVID, what do we do? So keep listening to hear about our entire COVID saga, including why it took us almost a week to get an RT-PCR test, also why our test results are most likely fake, and how you sometimes just need to use Google as your doctor instead of actually listening to your actual doctor because it could save your life. So keep listening and I'll keep going. So now I kind of want to talk you through what we went through and why it absolutely sucked and why those two weeks were probably the worst two weeks of my life. And I apologize in advance that some of this information might not be chronological as it happens in times of stress. Sometimes things do get mixed up and events do get mixed up. And so I've done my best to kind of go in order, but some of these things just might be out of order and that's just the way it is. So I apologize in advance for that. Now, I want to start with talking you through my husband's COVID journey because out of the three of us, he definitely had the most severe episode of COVID. I would classify his COVID symptoms as moderate, whereas my mother-in-law and mine were definitely on the mild to almost asymptomatic a symptomatic side. Um, as I mentioned, he did feel fine during the first few days of his COVID saga. And so even though those first five days he was fine, he was going to the gym, even after isolation, he was still feeling fairly fine. He felt fine enough, um, just for reference, for him to actually spend on three different occasions, on three different days to take his car out and go in search of an RT-PCR drive-through testing facility. Um, unfortunately, 
they were all either closed or just they were out of test kits. And I'm going to tell you about our RTPC our saga in a second. But he was fine enough to get himself in the car and then go out for a drive and find these centers all over the city. So it wasn't that he kind of went from, oh, I have COVID to, oh my God, I'm feeling so tired and exhausted and feverish. No, there was definitely a buildup that happened between when we figured out it's probably COVID to when he started feeling awful. So the first thing that we did was choose to consult with my family physician. And so this is a physician that I have been going to since I was probably... 13 or 14. So it's been over two decades that I have been consulting with this doctor. I absolutely love him. And he's also a family doctor for many people in my family. And so his recommendation was that I was either asymptomatic or just had really, really mild symptoms and there was nothing to worry about. And then my husband was also super mild. And so chances are he would just get by with paracetamol if he had fever and then taking vitamins. And so that was really the recommendation that we got from him. Um, and so we took that and we kind of just self-monitored ourselves. It felt like it was just a little kind of um, staycation that we were having in our bedroom and that was it. But um, my husband's fever started to go up after a day or so. I think it was almost after we consulted with the doctor and his fever wouldn't break. So even though most of his other friends, we had a couple of other people going through COVID at the same time. Their fever was actually higher. They were going to 102, 103. Another friend touched 104, but their fever was always breaking and coming back down to normal. In the case of my husband, his fever kind of consistently stayed at above 100 for almost two to three days. And whenever it would go above 100, I would do a cold compress and I would bring it down slightly, but it wasn't really helping because it just wasn't breaking. So even though it was coming down and he was kind of able to sleep and get comfortable after taking paracetamol, it was not bringing the fever down to a 98.4 range and it wasn't bringing it down to normal. He was always still going from like 100 and 1 1.5 to 100, 101 point something to 100. He was always kind of consistently at 100 for almost two to three days. Uh, one of the nights he actually woke me up shivering and his hands were super cold and clammy and he had kind of sweated through his t-shirt and we had a get him changed. And so we definitely felt there was something off that he wasn't able to break his fever and bring it down to normal. So one of the things that I definitely learned through this process is that fever is a very clear warning that you have COVID and that also your COVID symptoms are transitioning from mild to moderate or from moderate to severe. So you want to be very careful when it comes to fever and you want to be sure that you are monitoring your fever and seeing what pattern it is taking. So another warning sign for us when it came to my husband's symptoms was his oxygen level. So we had gotten a pulse oximeter a few weeks ago. In fact, it was so funny because when I ordered this oximeter, everybody was like, why are you ordering it? We don't need it. And we'll get it when we get it, when we need it. And I was like, I don't know. I just think we should have one. Everybody kind of has one. We haven't gotten it for the 18 months that COVID has been around. I'm just going to order it and keep it. And if we don't need it, that's great. Um, and so it was a great thing that I had ordered it because uh, 
oximeters are out of stock. And so it was really hard to get them. And even if you were able to order one on Amazon, it had a three to five day waiting period. And so that was not going to be helpful. So having an oximeter round was definitely valuable. And uh, his oximeter oxygen levels went down to about 93% um, during the time that he would he was experiencing high fever. And that's when I basically started to panic because I was seeing so many posts on social media, especially on Instagram, where I do follow a lot of people uh, in India and in Delhi, I was seeing requests for plasma, requests for oxygen, requests for medication, requests for normal beds in hospitals, requests for ICU beds in hospitals, um, requests for basically everything that you might need if you were affected with COVID. And it started to make me panic um, because I was realizing that even if you had access to medical facilities near you, even if you had access to any amount of funding, it wouldn't make a difference because there was no capacity in terms of any medical systems for you to access to help you and to get any kind of help from the hospitals and doctors that were around you. Even though we actually have a world-class, really great hospital, literally five minutes away from our house, I knew that even going to that hospital was not a possibility because they were maxed out. They had no capacity to deal with anybody, not even in an emergency situation. So that really contributed to my feelings of stress and helplessness and anxiety and just feeling like if anything goes wrong, this is it. There is no way that we can get help and trying to get help is itself going to be such an exercise in frustration. So luckily for us, my husband's sister is a doctor and her experience is actually working in an ICU. She's currently not practicing because, um, practicing because she uh, had a baby, and but she does have friends that are working in ICU wards right now and dealing with COVID patients. So she was able to keep up to date in terms of what's happening with the ICU situations. And she was also able to give us some really useful advice when it came to managing his symptoms at home. So one of the things she did suggest that I do is wake up every two hours during the night and monitor him for his oxygen and his temperature. And that was one of the things that I am grateful for because waking up and setting an alarm every two hours actually was able to help me give him paracetamol when he required it, do a cold compress. There were times when I was waking up at like midnight, getting ice and doing a cold compress for him, um, helping him to stay warm or change his shirt if he needed to. And so just monitoring him and knowing that he was doing okay was something that was really valuable to me. So if you are taking care of someone or if you yourself have COVID and your symptoms are not on the mild side, but they're on the moderate side and you have temperature or you have low oxygen levels, I would sincerely recommend waking up every two hours and checking on your symptoms and making a note of them because it's really going to help you monitor yourself and take action as quickly as possible if action is needed. And so that was kind of something that was super helpful for us. Another thing that was helpful was Dr. Google. So even though I know a lot of people say, don't go on Google if there's something wrong with you, because you're going to get millions of pages of conflicting advice. But I think one of the things that my husband found through all of his hours of research, even though everybody was telling him, don't worry, you're going to be fine. There's nothing to panic about. It's just fine. Let's just wait and watch. But everybody's comments on Google kind of indicated that in most, in all likelihood, if your fever doesn't go down 
after about two to three days and it doesn't break, then chances are that COVID has affected your lungs in some way. And you probably have a case of COVID pneumonia, in which case you want to go and confirm that with either a CT scan or a chest x-ray. So despite the fact that my doctor didn't suggest it, despite the fact that my sister-in-law also wasn't hundred percent sure we should get one done. My husband went ahead and decided that this was something he wanted to do. And then when his oxygen levels continued to kind of fluctuate and his fever wasn't going down, my sister-in-law also agreed that this was the best course of action. And so he went in and had a CD scan, which basically showed that he definitely had COVID pneumonia. And so again, on the CD scan, it showed that he had mild to moderate um, COVID pneumonia. And so it was great that we caught that in time because we were able to reverse the um, effects of that quickly versus waiting. And so I would say that even if your doctors and the people around you are saying, don't panic, don't keep calm. If instinct is telling you that you want to do something and you want to double check something and you're able to do that, then definitely go ahead and do that. Um, another reason that I'm very grateful to my sister-in-law is the fact that she told us about the practice of proning, which is essentially sleeping on your stomach. And so again, because I was so paranoid and I wasn't able to sleep, I literally would poke my husband throughout the night, every time he slept on his back and make him sleep either on his side or on his stomach. And I kept doing that um, just to make sure that he was getting his oxygen levels up. And so that is something that, again, if you don't know how to prone and you are in a situation where you think somebody in your family or you may at some point get COVID, definitely go. And there's tons of information, YouTube videos, infographics on the um, practice of proning. So learn how to do that because it's definitely something that can help you and that can help you with, um, your symptoms. So once we kind of figured out his symptoms were getting bad, we essentially consulted two doctors, one officially, one unofficially. We consulted my general physician physician. Again, he added in a antibiotic prescription, plus he added in some, um, medicines that had to be taken through a nebulizer. And then once my husband's CD scan results came as well, um, and I think in fact, even before he went through his CD scan um, results, he kind of got like a, a, a little video from the technician who showed it to him while she was doing it. Um, but we were still waiting for the report. So even while we were waiting for the report, my sister-in-law consulted with a friend of hers who's practicing in an ICU right now. And she took my doctor's prescriptions and added on a couple of recommendations to that. And we essentially decided to start the medication without waiting for any reports, because that was the recommendation that my sister-in-law and this doctor had made. And so I will tell you that even finding medications was such a challenge for us. I probably made during the time that we were in isolation and affected by COVID, I probably called the chemist near our house four times a day, asking him for different medicines and following up with him to send different medicines and gadgets and tools and all of the things that we needed. And one medicine that we thought was very critical for my husband to have and in by hindsight, we think that was the one that made the biggest difference. That was not available where we lived and it still isn't available. It's been two and a half weeks that I've been asking for it. It's still not available. Luckily, my wonderful um, 
sister-in-law was able to find that for us at a chemist near her. And she was able to messenger that over to us immediately. And we were able to start him on that medication on the same day. But if she wasn't around, then again, it would have been that stressful situation of trying to source it from different chemists, finding a way to go to that chemist to get it because he couldn't go, I couldn't go, my mother-in-law couldn't go, and we didn't want my father-in-law to go. And all his friends had COVID at the same time. So who do we send? So it would have been just a very, very stressful situation. So I'm very grateful to everybody who helped us out. Another thing that made me panic was his oxygen levels. And again, finding oxygen was and probably still is such a challenge right now in India. And that is one of the reasons that I decided to put on this donation drive for two charities that are just doing amazing work when it's coming, when it comes to helping people breathe and helping them get access to oxygen. I still count ourselves as one of the 1%, one of the 1% that just has a incredible network of friends and contacts and access to all of the privileges that go with being part of that 1% that we were able to pull through COVID in the manner that we did. But there's 99% of the population that do not have the privileges that we do and who definitely don't have access to oxygen and resources the way we do. So I really want to do something to help those people breathe and to help them get access to the thing, the basic thing that you need to survive. So um, even with my husband, getting an oxygen concentrator was such a hard ask. Um, I called probably 12 different numbers before I found one person who had one. And to get that oxygen concentrator, we would have to go to another city. Our borders were sealed. So it was difficult to get across. And then we had that conversation of who do we send? But luckily, my father-in-law is very well connected and very well respected in the society that we live in. So in the community that we live in and we have out the president of our community is a amazing human being with great foresight. And so one of the things that he did as soon as the COVID numbers started to rise was place in orders for essential items like oxygen concentrators, cannulas, and a few other items to be on a shared basis throughout all of the residents that live in our community. So this basically means that we're not hoarding and people are not buying one per house and that we have these as a shared resource for whoever needs them. So luckily we had one oxygen concentrator available across, I don't know, 200, 300 houses. And we were able to use that for a few days. So my husband only needed to um, use oxygen at night, even though other doctors said nothing about oxygen. My sister-in-law essentially suggested that he do 10 to 15 minutes. And so he did that for about three to four days. And now, thankfully, his oxygen is perfect. Um, he's able to work out again. And so I'm very thankful to all of the people that helped us out and gave us amazing advice. I don't think that we could have pulled through without this amazing network of people to help us and support us. So I do want to talk about our entire testing saga, just so that people understand that everything right now in India is a challenge, even to get an RT-PCR test was such a challenge. As I mentioned, my husband tried and I also went on one occasion. We went three separate times to check on the drive-throughs that were being offered and they were either closed or out of test kits. We tried to book through the labs that we usually get blood tests from. And this was in April, around April 20th. 
the earliest booking that they had for RT-PCR tests was in May, the first week of May. So that wouldn't have worked for us. So finally, we got the contact from someone for an RT-PCR test lab. The person came the same day. He came at night. It was a bit of a weird situation because we've had an RT-PCR test before for when we wanted to go on a trip. And at that time, the guy just asked us... Um, why we were getting the test and we told him and he took our swabs and that was it. This guy actually asked us if we had any symptoms and what symptoms we had and he wrote them down on our test tube and we got our results in a couple of days. Um, my husband and I were positive. I was super mild, literally just one number into positive and that was because I had told the guy that I actually got fever an hour before he had come and I had no symptoms before that. And then my husband had said he'd had symptoms for a couple of days and it was just basically fever. And my mother-in-law, father-in-law said they had no symptoms. And so they were tested as negative. When we tried to look up the test results on the central testing website, we're not able to find them. So we strongly suspect that this was a fake lab that produced fake lab results. So I just wanted to let you know that getting an RT-PCR test is super difficult right now. It's really hard to book one. And even when you book one, you don't know if you're booking one that's going to give you the right results or not. And that's just the way it is. Um, even getting a CT, a chest CD scan was really hard. The hospital that I originally called had a CD scan appointment that they gave me two days in. So we had to wait three days almost for him to go get that. Luckily, the other hospital that we have close to us was a, on a walk-in basis. And so he was able to go immediately. He had to wait there for about 45 minutes before getting a CD scan, but he was able to get one. And then they sent the report the next day. Another thing that we decided to do was a set of blood tests. So my sister-in-law and her doctor friend recommended a set of blood tests to figure out the impact of COVID on my husband's system. I'm not sure why, but when the testing guy came in, I just said, Hey, I want to do the same tests. And so we threw them in and just paid him extra for my test. But three days later, my sister-in-law, who uh, she and her husband also were going through their own COVID episode at that time, they live a few houses away from us. She couldn't book from any labs for blood tests because they were all booked out. So even getting those blood tests was really difficult. So in summary, one of the things I definitely have to say is that um, oxygen and temperature is probably the two non-negotiable things that you want to look at and you want to monitor. And once those two things start kind of going out of range or they become worrisome, you want to jump into action as soon as possible. Even if people are telling you to be conservative, my suggestion is to be as aggressive as possible when it comes to handling COVID because that's probably the thing that is going to save you and keep you from getting your symptoms more severe. Um, I will definitely say that dealing with COVID takes a village. We are so grateful to every single person who was part of our journey. Um, we could not have done this without my in-laws, my mother-in-law, took care of us the entire time till she fell sick. And luckily we were all staggered in our COVID journeys. So my husband was first, it took him a week, um, week and 10 days till I felt the symptoms. And then it took a week, 10 days for my mother-in-law to feel her system. So we're very grateful that we didn't all fall sick at the same time, but we're so grateful to my in-laws for taking care of us, for making sure that we ate on time, for just doing all the things that needed to be done to keep us 
healthy so that we could stay in isolation and get through this together. My sister-in-law has been amazing. I called her 10 times a day. I messaged her 10 times a day asking her questions. And so she was amazing at just dealing with me, dealing with my husband, dealing with my in-laws, sourcing, reaching out to her friends who themselves are so overburdened and asking them for their opinions and getting their recommendations to us. And the fact that she was able to do that just changed the game for us completely. So we're so eternally grateful to her and to her friends as well. Um, my amazing friend and client, Tracy, who just kept me sane throughout this process, just because I would message her and just have these moments of breaking down and she would message me back and tell me how to center myself and just find some peace and some calm. Um, my amazing uh, sister-in-law Amina, who was able to just check in on us every day and also helped us get the medicines that we needed. Another friend of ours named Aroma, who checked in on us every day. She and her husband were such a good source of comfort and just having somebody to talk to. Um, my friends Busha and Tara, who I literally sent cheery messages to crying one night and then Busha and Tara just were amazing at trying to get me to focus on better things and to cheer up and send me just as much support and strength as they could. Busha even wasted her annual phone call to call me and to talk me off a ledge when I literally thought I was going to die. And this was during my own personal COVID episode where I was going through a lot and I thought I was, this was it, I was going to die. And so it was really, really helpful to these for, to have these people in our corner um, my sister, Herlene and her husband, who again, who's a doctor and she herself has been a caretaker of three people with COVID. And so they just constantly told us not to panic, not to panic. And it was just, again, a source of relief to be able to message her at like 11 o'clock at night and have her talk me off a ledge when I was worrying about my husband and panicking. So that really is my husband's COVID story. And it's been a long one, but the poor guy went through a lot. Um, we are very grateful that he's come out and he's back to his old tricks. So he's back on the exercise cycle since yesterday. And he's also started some very, very light weightlifting again at home. We're not going to the gym, but we're grateful that he is good and healthy and we will continue to monitor him and just to take care of him. Um, with my, me and my mother-in-law, our symptoms and our episodes were very light. I would say mine was probably ca characterized by um, one predominant symptom, which was that I reacted very badly to an antibiotic I was taking. I had really severe gastric distress. And also I had a very elevated and erratic heart rate, which made me panic and I wasn't able to sleep at night. And so once my sister-in-law kind of, again, that's why we're grateful for my sister-in-law because my GP said to take the antibiotic and that was it. But my sister-in-law figured out it was probably the antibiotic that was making me react this way. And so we changed the antibiotic and my heart rate is fine and all things are fine now. Um, I did have fever over a hundred for maybe one day and that came down as soon as I took paracetamol. So that wasn't something that we worried about. Um, I did have almost a consistent temperature at about 97 or 99 for a few days. And that was also the days when I was feeling really tired and really fatigued. 
Um, but then that again came down. My oxygen was never uh, an issue. So that was something that led us to believe that my symptoms were really mild and pretty isolated in probably the upper regions of my body and not going anywhere else. Um, it was essentially the same with my mother-in-law. She also had, again, low temperature, maybe one day of fever, and then again, a slightly elevated body temperature for a few days and just really over uh, just feeling a, a lot of fatigue. And so she is also feeling absolutely fine now. And she's probably going to be out of isolation in a couple of days. And so we're very grateful to that. Um, a couple of common things that my mother-in-law and my husband shared was that they both had lower pulse rates than normal during this episode, um, and also fluctuating blood pressure levels. So that's just something to keep in mind. But essentially, that really is our entire COVID journey. I wanted to share it. I know it's long. I wanted to share it because I think so many people feel like there's a lot of uncertainty around what people go through. And also, just hearing other people's stories lets you know that, number one, there is a way through. Um, and number two is the fact that when you hear other people's stories, you know you're not alone and you know other people have gone through this. And you can see the fact that there is light at the end of the tunnel. So we didn't find enough people sharing their COVID journeys for whatever reason online. And so that was why I was really motivated to share this, to share the ugly stuff, the good stuff, the not so great stuff with you, just so that you could know what we went through and how mentally exhausting, paralyzing, scary, stressful, and troubling the entire journey was. Um, the biggest thing, my husband and I discussed this so much, the biggest factor of stress was not that we had COVID, was not that we were going through it, was not the symptoms that we were having. The biggest source of stress through, for us during this entire journey was the fact that we did not have access to the things we needed to get well. We did not have access to a hospital if we needed it. We didn't have access to medication as easily as just going to a chemist or making a phone call and having it delivered. We didn't have access to oxygen if we needed it in form of in the forms of cans or ventilators or concentrators we didn't have access to an ICU or beds or an emergency room we basically had zero support from the infrastructure that you take for granted on an everyday basis and so that was the scariest part for us was knowing that if things got worse then finding these things that should be very easy to access and should be um just there, finding those things was just going to be paralyzingly hard. And so that was for us the biggest source of, stre of stress and worry during this entire process. So um, next, I'm really going to talk about like what I would do if differently the next time in the hopes that if you do go through COVID or you are thinking about preparing yourself and your family for the inevitable, if that should happen, um, then you know what to do. So I'll be sharing that in a couple of seconds. So I had to give myself some time to really process the journey that we went on. And I know that ours seems mild and compared to people who have gone through a much severe, much more severe episode or people who have lost people. And I understand that. And um, my heart hurts every time we hear of somebody who has been affected by COVID or that has gone through uh, COVID and not survived. And so I definitely don't want to take away from those people's struggles. But I do want to say that in retrospect, there are certain things that I would have done differently 
if I had to do this all over again. And there are also some things that really helped me during this time that I want to share with you because if you are going through COVID or you have a loved one going through COVID, maybe this could help you and could help you really get better faster and to see that there is light at the end of the tunnel as well. So the first thing that I would really do differently is monitor, monitor, monitor. I think we were very late to the game when it came to monitoring our, our symptoms and also just keeping track of what was happening. So in hindsight, I would 100% start monitoring ourselves a lot sooner. I would definitely use one of those trackers that you see on the internet, which says take your you know pulse rate your oxygen and then your temperature every four hours or four times a day and just measure and track that it's definitely something that i would do a lot sooner my sister-in-law also had me take a notebook and actually write down whenever i monitored my husband or myself and whenever i gave medicines to just really day-to-day -day note down everything that happened almost like a bullet journal of our COVID journey and I found that really helpful. I wasn't always on top of that, but I found it very helpful to refer to that when I had to talk to a doctor, when I had to talk to her, when I had to think through like when was the last time he took a certain medicine and I actually had to keep track of all of the medication that he was taking. I, it just helped to have that journal. So in retrospect, I would start monitoring and keeping track of what we were going through a lot sooner. So learning how to bullet journal this or figuring out a system to capture this information is essential and is definitely something I would have started with if we had to go through this again. The second thing that I would do is not wait to blast my system with medication. I know we've all gotten to this point where when it comes to medication, we kind of have this wait and see approach because we don't want to overload our system with medication and we just think it's bad for our system. If our system can cope with things itself, we should allow our body to do its natural healing. And I am all for that in everything except for COVID. I genuinely think when it comes to COVID, you have to carpet bomb your system as aggressively as possible. And you have to just start medication as soon as you think you have COVID, even if it's the smallest form of antibiotics that you can get your hands on. I think that just really helps with keeping your, your symptoms mild. It's what me and my mother-in-law did as soon as we figured out we had COVID and we thought we would be, as soon as my husband actually got diagnosed with COVID and he started his medication, because my throat felt just the tiniest bit itchy, it could have been psychological, it could have been physical, I'm not sure yet, but I literally just put myself on antibiotics without consulting with the doctor. I knew I'd taken them before and I knew that what they were for and so I just started a course of antibiotics and for my mother-in-law, my sister-in-law just started her on antibiotics the minute she started to feel a little rundown and she had a bit of headache. We just started her as soon as possible. And so I feel like starting our medication journey as soon as possible is what kept our symptoms as mild as possible. But of course, you don't want to overdose on any medication and you don't want to take any steroids or any of those things. Just be sensible about it. I'm not recommending anything here. I'm just saying what I would do personally and what I did for myself and for my mom-in-law. And I would definitely do this again, which is just blast my system with as much as I can safely as possible versus waiting and seeing um, in terms of what would come up. Here's also some things that I will be doing in order to prepare for the next time. If there is a next time and people, experts are saying there will be a next time. And so rather than using the ostrich as your 
your uh, role model and sticking your head in the sand, I would say that let's all just be really good girl and boy scouts and just be as prepared as possible. And so I think working through the 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 process of emergency prepper, prep, preparedness is something that is really important as well, because it just gives you peace of mind knowing that if things do happen, if circumstances change, you have a plan in place and you can default to that plan. Because a lot of times when your body and your mind is under stress, you panic and you don't actually think clearly and you don't know what to do. But when you have things written out or you have things planned, it's a lot easier to default to that rather than trying to come up with a plan when you're panicking or when things are deteriorating around you. So a couple of things that I think it is important is important to have as part of your COVID preparedness is number one, make a list of all of the phone numbers that you might need. So write down the numbers of your chemist, the numbers of people that you can reach out to for medical advice, your doctors that you need to reach out to, write down the numbers of testing centers, write down the numbers or the websites of hospitals that you might want to call that are in your area. So just think through who you might need as part of your COVID journey and write down the numbers of all of those people or all of those businesses. So you have them all in one place should you need them. The second thing that I would suggest is without hoarding and without taking away from people that actually need these tools and gadgets. But when things calm down and when things are freely available again in the market, you may want to stock up on any of the tools and gadgets that you think you might need. Some of the things that came in super handy for us was having an oximeter in hand, having a thermometer. Um, we had to wait a day to get a nebulizer, but now we have one. We also got a blood pressure machine on the recommendation of my sister-in-law. And so those are four essential tools that I think every family should have if you can afford that. And, um, I also think it's worthwhile to have extras of oximeters and thermometers because in our case, for example, we had me and my husband who were able to share an oximeter and a thermometer because we were together. My mother-in-law was isolated separately and she needed her own set. And then my father-in-law has not had COVID. And so we needed a set for him. So depending on the number of people in your house, you might need a couple of extras of these tools as well in case some people have it and some people don't, and you don't want to share these tools and gadgets during that time. Another super useful list, like I mentioned, it takes a village of people to get you through this entire thing. And so you want to make a list of people that you can reach out to that can help you just stay calm, stay centered, give you a positive pep talk when you need it the most, and just help you calm down and help you feel a little bit better and help you get through this in a way that makes you feel stronger and doesn't wreck you completely. So make a list of people that you need to call or reach out to because you will need to call and reach out to other people during this time. Stay off news and social media because there is nothing good happening in the world right now when it comes to COVID. And if you are going through this yourself or you have loved ones going through this process, going on the news and going on social media is going to absolutely wreck your mind your mind right now and that is something you cannot use so stay off news and social media as much as you can um stock up on whatever vitamins and medication that you think you need. I would again say, please don't hoard. So if you call a chemist and it's not something that is easily available and he kind of sounds like it's something that's hard to get or is out of stock, 
I wouldn't get that unless you absolutely need it. But if it's something that he has surplus of and it's something that is currently freely available in the market like vitamins, then I would definitely say stock up on these things or at least have a list of things that you would need and why you would need them so that if things do happen, then you know what you need to get. And you also have your list of where you can get it from. So you are in that position of like making a few phone calls and sourcing what you need versus panicking and trying to figure out what do I need? Where do I get it from? How do I get it? And all of those questions. So make a list of medication, find your own ways to stay calm and centered because you are going to need them. So for me personally, the things that really did help me was number one, watching the Disney channel. So I renewed my subscription to Disney and Hotstar and I just watched Disney movies the entire time that I was getting stressed out. There were nights that I couldn't sleep and I didn't want to sleep because I wanted to watch my husband. And so I would put a Disney movie and I would watch that while he was sleeping. And so it just helped to have my mind diverted with a movie. And so Disney was my savior throughout this entire process. Um, you could try EFT or tapping. There's tons of videos on YouTube. I love Brad Yates. And so his YouTube videos were definitely something that were a lifesaver for me. I also liked doing a couple of meditations on YouTube. And so Yoga Nidra was a link to the one that I used. That was also something that really helped me. Um, and also just listening to white noise at night was something that just helped me calm down, especially when I was going through my own COVID episode and I was just stressed and worried for myself. Um, having white noise play while I was trying to sleep just really soothed me. It didn't put me to sleep, but it really soothed me and helped me calm down at night um, versus my brain going into overdrive and just worrying and just going crazy all the time. And then lastly, this is my own personal thing. I find peppermint oil to be very calming. And so I was literally huffing it like it was a drug at some point. I was putting it on tissue paper and then I was literally like sleeping with it next to my nose. But that was something that just has a very calming effect on me. So look for an essential oil that calms you down, uh, lavender, orange, peppermint, lemon, whatever it is that resonates with you, you'll know. But really just try and create that environment for yourself of diffusing essential oils to help you and just playing music to soothe you, um, watching movies to keep you in a good mood, journaling. I couldn't journal. That was just something that my brain just couldn't do. But I watched movies. I listened to podcasts. Um, I listened to my friend Tracy's course on audio. I did EFT. I did yoga nidra. So I did whatever I could to stay calm. So that's my recommendation is find the ways that you can stay calm and keep that list ready for yourself so that when things do get out of hand, you have your toolbox of things that you can go and do if things get out of hand. Um, so now I'm just going to wrap this up by really just telling you what we're doing in terms of our COVID support donation drive and how you can be part of that. So one of the things that I really reflected on as we got through this entire COVID episode was the fact that we are so privileged. So every single thing that we did for ourselves during this journey was a function of being privileged. Um, I'm actually just going to pull this up and tell you what I mean by that. So we 
are definitely part of that 1% that was able to afford all of the things that you need to get better when it comes to COVID and to get better at home. Number one is that we were able to isolate. That is probably the biggest luxury of them all. So many people do not have the luxury of isolating and do not live in homes or places where they can separate from their family. So we had the luxury of isolating from our family, which was definitely something that was a privilege for us. We were able to afford an oximeter for ourselves, for my mother-in-law. We could afford a thermometer for ourselves, a thermometer for her. We also were able to afford a BP machine, a blood pressure machine, a nebulizer for my husband. We consulted with a doctor a couple of times. That cost money. We bought all of the supplements, all of the vitamins. They cost money. We were able to get all of the prescriptions fulfilled, even with extra delivery charges. That was fine. We were able to contribute to our community oxygen concentrator and get that. We were able to get food delivered when all of us were sick and nobody could cook. We were able to get oxygen cans delivered. We were able to get all of our blood tests done. They cost in excess of $150 for each of us. We were able to get a CT scan, which also cost money. We were able to get our COVID test done. Right now, I'm doing breathing classes with a meditation teacher to help me get back on track. We were able to afford that. We were able to afford a spirometer to strengthen each of our lungs. All of these things cost money. If I total all of this up, it's definitely going to be in the $300 to $500 range. And most people in India cannot afford that. And so most people cannot afford to get well from COVID by themselves. Some of the things that we also had access to that we had as a function of our privilege is knowing people that were medical experts. My sister-in-law is a doctor. My sister's husband is a doctor, is a surgeon. My husband has two friends, one of whom is a pathologist. The other one is a radiologist. We had a family physician. The fact that we are privileged is the reason that we have this access to medical experts that we could reach out to. The fact that we had a phone and that we could read English means that we can access the latest medical advice from around the world on our phone. We could use our phone to figure out how to do proning. We could use our phone to figure out what was an acceptable oxygen level, what to do if your fever doesn't break. We knew how to use our phone to do that. So many millions of people in India don't have access to that. We also had access to the internet and our phones, and we knew how to access our lab tests online. We knew how to call a pharmacy and get a supply of medicines to us. And then lastly, for entertainment, we had an endless supply of movies and music on demand because we could afford it. So we are just so privileged and so lucky right now to have gone through this and to have gone through this with all of the privileges that we have. We're not privileged and lucky to have gone through this, but um, you know what I mean, which is that we are just so privileged and lucky that we were able to go through this at home and to afford everything that we needed to go through this and to nip our symptoms in the bud and to come out of this fairly unscathed um, for all three of us. And so we're so grateful to the universe and to everybody that helped us on that journey. But we're also very, very mindful of the fact that we are privileged and that we are, we were able to do all of these things because of the fact that we were able to afford these things because of the fact that we are educated, we take all of these things for granted. And so when I started to reflect on this, it really did give me the shivers thinking that there are so many millions of people in my country 
that don't have access to any of this, that don't have access to an oximeter because they don't know where to buy one. They've never been inside a chemist. If they got an oximeter, they wouldn't know how to use it. They don't know how to read the numbers. They don't know that 93% is the cutoff and anything below that is dangerous and that you have to take action. They don't know how to use a thermometer. Their way of testing for temperature is to put a hand on the head and see if somebody is burning up. And they don't know how to read a thermometer. They wouldn't know that 98.4 is a normal body temperature and anything over 100 needs paracetamol. They don't know that they're supposed to be taking vitamin C and zinc and omega and vitamin D in order to strengthen their immune systems. They probably wouldn't able be able to afford it. The average... Indian worker makes between two to five dollars a day. The average Indian worker cannot spend two to five dollars a day on medication and oximeters and thermometers and putting all of these things in place. The average Indian worker cannot access a medical professional on their phones and get advice. They don't know who to call. They will go to the free clinic who's not going to give them any of this medication because they don't have any of this medication. They are not going to be able to tap into their resources and find a, an oxygen concentrator. They're not going to be able to afford an oxygen concentrator. Forget an oxygen concentrator. The average Indian worker is not able to afford ice because they don't have a fridge. So they cannot do a cold compress to bring their fever down. They will have to rely on medication if they were able to afford medication and if they knew which paracetamol to buy. So the average Indian worker has no chance of surviving COVID unless we're helping them. So I really wanted to do something to help people who cannot afford the kind of privileges that we can and who just don't have access to any of this infrastructure and any of the support. And so two organizations that I have been following and that we have personally donated to uh, are the Hamekun Foundation and Kalsa Aid, both of whom are doing incredible work. The Hamekun Foundation is based in our city. They started off with just having a oxygen cylinder support system where you could come in and get free oxygen cylinders. Then they started a drive through then they started a 24-hour drive-through, and now they actually have a fully-fledged center with beds where you could go in and get support. And I think it is amazing because there are so many hundreds of people that are benefiting from their initiative and benefiting from this foundation. And so we want to raise as much money as we can to help this foundation. The other foundation, which is doing amazing things in another state is Kalsa Aid, and they are, again, sourcing oxygen concentrators and turning gurdwaras into oxygen centers and just helping people get access to oxygen. People that do not have anywhere else to go, cannot afford anything else, and are just helpless can go to these two organizations, and they are guaranteed to get help. And so I think they are amazing, and that's why we wanted to do something to help them. And so that is why we're putting on a essentially three-day sale where you can contribute any amount in excess of $25. $25 is the minimum. So anything from $25 up to whatever your heart desires to either of these two foundations, I will put their links below. And uh, once you've done that, send me a receipt and I will send you a coupon to redeem against any of the products that are listed on my site. And that is my thank you for donating to these organizations. Our target is to get to $3,000 in three days if we can. That would be a dream for me. And it would just really go a long way towards supporting these foundations. 
if for some reason you cannot support them directly through whatever reason, just because your country doesn't allow those payments or transfers, you can transfer it to us and I will send you those details. You can message me and I'll send you those details and we will transfer it to them. But I really hope we can make a difference. It's going to be the tiniest, tiniest drop in the ocean difference, but every drop in the ocean right now is counting because our numbers are going up. People are suffering. People are dying. And so many people are dying because of lack of access to resources, not because their symptoms have gotten so bad or that they had comorbidities and they were probably going to die regardless of anything that you could do for them. There are so many people who are dying and their deaths are preventable because they don't have access to the resources that we do. And so I want to do as much as we can to help those people. And I hope that you will join me. I am very sorry that this was a very muddled plea, but it genuinely does come from the heart. And I hope that you understand where I'm coming from and how painful this is to really watch what people are going through and to know that we, it is up to us. It is our responsibility at this point to make a difference because our government is not doing anything or doing very little to support these people. And so it is up to us to try and tap into our networks and our support system to do as much as I can. So to do as much as we can rather. So I really hope you will join me and I'll hope you'll be a part of this together and we can make a difference together. I really, really appreciate you and I look forward to talking to you soon.